You're listening to sermon audio from Providence Baptist Church. Be sure to check out pbcfrankfort.org for more information. Genesis chapter 12, if you will. Genesis chapter 12. We're going to be looking today at Abram, uh, who of course becomes known as Abraham later, but here he's known as Abram. We're going to be looking at the call on Abram's life, and uh, we're also going to be really spending most of our focus today on this individual that's with him in these stories named Lot. Now, similar to last week with the story of Job, two weeks ago with the story of Samson, uh, I can't really go through the entirety of the story because of the time constraints we have. The story of Abram and Lot, at least those two intertwined, goes from Genesis 12 to Genesis 19. So we're going to kind of popcorn around through there like we did last two weeks with Job and with Samson. We're going to start in Genesis 12, which is why I have you turn in there. Um, but I really encourage you this week to open your Bibles and read this entire story from Genesis chapter 12 through Genesis chapter 19. Get the story in full. Make it part of your daily Bible reading, meditations, devotions, whatever, and um, learn what it is that God is doing through the entirety of their story together. I have preached on Genesis 12 here um, at least twice as a main text in four and a half years, and I think I have referred back to it or integrated it into other sermons um, probably at least three or four times in four and a half years. And outside of here in the last, in the preceding 17 years, I don't know how many times I've preached on Genesis 12, because it is such an important passage in the Old Testament. This call to Abram and what God is seeking to do through Abram's obedience and through the people of Israel that would grow from that. Because it teaches us, one, about God and his covenant promises. We're going to talk about the fact at the end today that we are in a covenant made by Jesus Christ. And so it does well for us to read in the Old Testament that God and the covenant promises he made and how people responded to that, that that's an example for us in how we respond to the covenant we now have in Christ. It teaches us about God's desire to use mankind. He picks Abram and just decides he's going to, through this one man, bless him and bless his family and make a great nation out of him and that all the nations, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Instead of God just pouring it out, he chooses to do something through Abram. So it teaches us about our lives now. He wants to do things through you and through me. And you know, some of you maybe sit back and go, well, yeah, he's already done some things. Listen, so long as you have breath, he's still interested in doing things. There may be retirement age in the culture, but there's no retirement age in the Bible. So he's interested in using his people for his glory. And then thirdly, I think this call to Abram teaches us about God's, his heart for his world. You know, he's, he's blessing Abram. We'll see in just a moment to start a chain reaction where all of the families of the world would be blessed. And then we follow that up or we tie that into John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's a, it's a very good foundational teaching through this story. But today, we're going to talk about Abram, but we're also going to talk about Lot. And we're going to see how Abram and Lot took the blessing of God, took the promise of God, and looked at them in two very different ways. So the first thing I want us to see is that Lot is included in God's blessing by joining Abraham in this journey. Now, who is Lot? 
At the end of chapter 11, the writer goes through these genealogies of these families, and we learn in chapter 11, verse 27, that Lot is basically Abram's nephew. And through the remainder of chapter 11, what we find out is that Lot's father dies, and Lot's grandfather dies. And so what we see here, beginning in chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, and let's look at that real quick to get us into it. The call to Abram comes like this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred, meaning your kinfolk, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in all the families of the, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. So Lot goes with Abram, but we have this little, very minute distinction here in that the call to Abram was leave your country or leave your home, leave where you're living, leave your family, leave your father's house and go. And yet Genesis 12, 4 says Lot went with him. So a question arises in my mind, was Abraham disobedient by taking Lot? Now, if you read through scholars and commentaries and people who have asked this question for years, uh, as with a lot of things in the scriptures, they're pretty well divided. Some say that because of the culture and the family responsibility that Abram would have had for this nephew who's now fatherless and grandfatherless, That he absolutely did the right thing by taking Lot with him and including him as part of his family. There are others that say, no, Abraham was disobedient in this because God had clearly said, leave behind your kindred. Leave behind your kinfolk. There were other people who were still alive in Abram's family who could have taken Lot. So ultimately, the Bible doesn't tell us, yes, Abram was wrong or no, Abram was right. But as we'll see in a moment, what we do find from the Bible is this. Lot caused a lot of heartache for his uncle. And so perhaps that leans to that even though Abram was being generous and even though Abram was fulfilling the cultural desire, perhaps it was not of the Lord's will that Lot go with him. But nonetheless, he takes him with him and then essentially he makes him family. So as he makes Lot a part of his immediate family, even though he's a nephew, Lot is now included in this calling and in these blessings and promises of God. It's not just for Abraham and Sarah, but it is now for Lot as well. And so if we skip ahead to Genesis 13, what we find out is that God begins to prosper Lot and Abram both very well. Look at Genesis 13 verse 2. We're going to read through verse 7. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, So that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And at that time, the Canaanites and Perizzites were dwelling in the land. So what the Bible tells us is that God chooses to begin to bless both Abram and Lot immensely. 
It specifically mentions for Abram and silver and gold, precious metals, but both of them through the livestock and and that type of material possession they would have through that. And so we see that Lot, by going with Abram, is included in that covenantal promise that God has made to Abram. But they get to a point where they begin to butt heads. They get to a point where their herdsmen begin to butt heads. They can't all survive in the same place. So they have to have a solution. And what is the solution? The solution is to split up. If we read ahead here uh, in verse 8 and 9, chapter 13, Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Now, why does Abram give Lot first choice? The Bible doesn't tell us specifically, but I think, and again, because of time-wise, we can't go back and read through all of this, but if you'll read it this week, you'll see it. But in Genesis chapter 12, beginning verse 20, there becomes a famine in the land where Abram is living. And he goes down to Egypt, and he gets into Egypt, and it's the first place, there's two places in the Bible he does this. You'd think he'd learn from the first time, but apparently he doesn't. But this is the first place in the Bible where he gets into Egypt and he's fearful that they would want to take, or that he would be punished or that they would want to take Sarah, his wife, from him or something. So he basically kind of makes an an assumption or makes an announcement that she's his sister and then the Lord's anger burns against the Pharaoh and then the Lord pours out judgment against the Pharaoh, which is a whole other message for another time, meaning that your sin and my sin always affects other people as well. And Abram returns. And so I think the reason he gives Lot first choice is Abram's going, I tried to do things my way earlier, and it didn't work. I tried to handle things in my own wisdom when I went to Egypt, and I concocted all this, and it didn't work. So now, by letting Lot choose first, he's really demonstrating a trust for God. He's really demonstrating that, okay, no matter what Lot chooses, no matter how Lot chooses, I trust that God's going to take care of me. It says in verse, thir- in verse 3 of verse 13 that they were in Bethel. And so I want you to get this sort of mental image if you can. It, it would be nice if we could throw up a map that everybody could see, but I think that's, that's kind of impossible for uh, everybody to see clearly. But basically Bethel would have been on a, a high sort of mountain range type of a situation And the way he describes it of looking left and right or to the left hand and the right hand, they would have been looking north. And so looking north on this high region would have been to the left would have been Canaan and all the Canaan land, which we know eventually becomes the promised land that God was intending for Israel to have anyway. To the right would have been this area known as the Jordan River Plateau or Basin or whatever you want to call it. And so they're looking out over all of this. And he gives this opportunity to Lot. And look at what Lot does with it, beginning in verse 10 and 11 of chapter 13. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from one another. We were told at the beginning of chapter 13 that Abram came back up out of Egypt and came to this area known as the Negev. The Negev is a desert area. 
Uh, it's now what would be called the southern part of Israel. But the Negev was this long or this broad expanse of desert, arid, stuff doesn't grow there kind of place. But then it snakes its way up to along the eastern side of what is now Israel. And it basically encompasses this Jordan River Valley. So I want you to get this picture for a moment. So they're standing on this hillside at Bethel. Lot looks up. Over here is the land of Canaan. Now the land of Canaan was prosperous. It was fertile. That was God's promise to Israel. It's going to be the land of milk and honey. But just looking at it, it doesn't look all that pretty from where they're standing. It's going to take some work. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some cultivation to see that come. But to look this way and see desert, 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 ooh, lots of green, lots of lush. Look again how he describes it there in, in, uh, in the verse, uh, verse 10, that it was like the garden of the Lord, meaning the garden of Eden is really what that phrase means, well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. It was appealing to Lot's eye, and probably it was most appealing to Lot's eye in that he looked at it and compared to what he saw in Canaan land and thought, that land's already ready to go. I don't have to do much down there. It's already producing. It's already fertile. Stuff's already growing. I go this way. I got to work. This way, I can just walk into it, and I can just, I can just prosper and live. And you might think, well, how does that happen in the midst of a desert area? When we lived in Phoenix... Uh, about a 45-minute drive from uh, central Phoenix to the northwest was a place called the Hasayampa River Preserve. And it was this beautiful, about three or four-mile stretch of flowers and trees and wildlife and crystal clear waters and it's just gorgeous and if you could have flown over the phoenix desert in that direction you would just see dirt and brown and dirt and brown and dust and then all of a sudden boom this lush lush area that happened because the hasiampa river runs underground for about 113 miles except for this one three to four mile stretch where it comes up out of the ground and then disappears back down so in the midst of that desert, in the midst of that aridness of Phoenix, of that place where it's tough to grow anything without irrigation, without pumping water in, lies this little three, four-mile preserve where stuff just grows and flourishes. That's what Lot would have seen. He would have seen that desert leading to this area of the Jordan Valley, and so he chooses it. And what we understand in verse 11 there again so Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. But look at verse 12. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. So why is that important? Well, again, if you could get in your mind a map, a biblical map, the Sea of Galilee is here. The Sea of Galilee empties into the Jordan River and runs through that Jordan River plateau. And then the Dead Sea is here. All of the cities, particularly Sodom and Gomorrah, which is where Lot ends up at, is down here on this backside of the Dead Sea. Bethel is about right here. So what it teaches us is this. It's not only that Lot chose for himself... Chose selfishly, I want to go to where it's easy, I don't want to go to where I want to work. But when he got there, he still wasn't satisfied. Because he journeyed east, is what the Bible tells us, but he ends up southeast. 
meaning he likely got into the river valley, spent some time there, decided, ah, this isn't all it was cracked up to be. I really didn't think this was what it was going to be like. Let's head down to the cities and see if we can make a living down there. So clearly, Lot is just looking out for number one over and over and over again. And because of that, Lot ends up hindering the mission of God. So how does he hinder the mission of God? In Genesis 14, the next chapter over, again, we're not going to read through it all, but in Genesis 14, 1 through 16, there's this story of all of these kings who go to war. And these kings go to war, and if you would look uh, all the way down into verse 11, if you will, it says, the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. So these kings from the north have come and waged war on these kings of the south. They've defeated them and they've taken away the possessions of Sodom, the possessions of Gomorrah and other cities around them. And not only that, but they've begun to take people among them being Lot. And so look at your next statement there, beginning in verse 13 of chapter 14. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eschol and Aner. These were allies of Abram. When Abram heard his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them, pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. And then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the woman and his people. So what's this got to do with Lot hindering the mission of God? Well, here's what this got to do with Lot hindering the mission of God. When Abram hears of what's happened, the Bible tells us that he went, summoned up his men, Followed them all the way up to Dan, even north of Damascus, went to battle with them, and then brought them all back. That would have been about a 200-mile journey one direction. So here's Abram, called of God, working in Canaan to begin to do the work that God's called him to do, and he gets news of Lot. Now, it would have been really easy for Lot for him to say, well, hey, <laughs> Lot chose it. He chose to go there. Sorry about his luck, but he doesn't. And so he pursues them about 200 miles north, has the battle, then brings them back another 200 miles. And really, it would have been bringing them back about another 250 miles because from where Abram was living to where Sodom and Gomorrah was was an additional 40 or 50 miles on top of that. So Lot hinders the mission of God because of his selfishness. He hinders the mission of God because he chose for himself. He chose the easy way. He wasn't satisfied. Moved on from where he went when he first journeyed east all the way down to Sodom and Gomorrah. And all that hinders the mission of God because it requires Abram to do something that he wasn't planned on doing. Now, we can commend Abram for that, and I think we should. But understand the point of it. The point of it is Lot's choices are impacting the mission of God because they're selfish. So then if you will, look at Genesis 18. We're going to skip over a few chapters. And in Genesis 18, we have this, uh, the, at the beginning of chapter 18, we have this situation where these two men or three men come and, and they meet Abram, Abraham. 
And traditionally, we think this is two angels and then what's called a Christophany or sometimes a theophany, which is the Lord incarnate as a human before he came as the son. Nonetheless, we have these three individuals, and Abraham speaks to them, and at the end of the conversation, beginning of verse 16, it says this, the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom. Abraham went with them to set them on their way, and the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth be blessed in him. For I've chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he's promised him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Verse 22, so the men turned from there and went to Sodom, or went toward Sodom. Abraham stood still before the Lord. Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? He goes on to say the same for, uh, for a lack of 45 and then 30 and 20 and all the way down ultimately to 10. He was begging, pleading with the Lord, will you not spare the city if there are just 10 righteous people found in all of it? Why is he going through this? Because he knows Lot is there. He knows Lot is there. He knows his nephew again needs bailing out. And so he spends time intervening with the Lord, interceding with the Lord here to have this discussion. And so what happens is ultimately God does say that if he finds 10 for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. But if you know this story well, what you know is that chapter 19 makes us, uh, makes us see very quickly towards the end that apparently there were not 10 righteous because Sodom and Gomorrah ultimately get destroyed. Now, the angels urge Lot, beginning in verse 15 of chapter 19, to take his wife, take their two daughters, and leave the city because it's going to be punished. It's going to be swept away. There's going to be judgment on it. And so he begins to go away. Verse 23, the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar, and the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew the cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. And look at verse 27. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And looked and behold the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. Here's another place where Lot's choices impact Abram and the mission of God. Not only has he spent time with God interceding, intervening, and trying to say, please spare the city, but now, seeing that the city was not spared, he's now on a very similar hill as he was at Bethel, looking out over the valley and seeing the fire and the smoke rage. And no doubt in his mind, there is the question, did my nephew survive? Does my nephew and his wife and his daughters have they survived? Did they get out? Were they counted among the ten? Because remember, the end of it is, if you can find ten who are righteous, would you spare the city? Did they get out? Did they survive? Ultimately, the Bible does not tell us this. Some believe chapter 19, 
verse 29. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow which he, when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. Some believe that that scripture verse points to that God did let Abraham know that Lot survived. But even at that, this is the last mention of Lot. He survived. The, the, the end of chapter 19 is the last mention of Lot. Abraham is left with, if he did know he survived, now what has happened of him? And he hinders the mission of God in doing so. You might say, well, I just don't know about all that. What would you do? <laughs> Call to the Lord with a mission set before you? Wondering if this person you took in as your family and you'd already interceded for once and traveled 200 miles to rescue them and bring them back? Do you think you'd be fully laser focused on your mission in those immediate days, weeks, and months? My guess is that Abraham here had a heavy, heavy heart and probably suffered in the mission of God for a while because of this. So what is the story for today? Why, why look at Abraham? Why look at Lot? Why look at Lot's mistakes? Well, it's this. Two men perceived the blessing of God very differently. Abram perceived the blessing of God and believed and trusted in God. He let Lot choose first. Would have been very easy for Abraham to say, well, God made the deal with me. He didn't make it with you. He didn't, he didn't enter the covenant with you. So I'm going to choose first and I'm going to take the best. But he trusts God because he understands the blessing of God is not dependent upon his own choices. Lot perceived the blessing of God as a chance to make a life great for himself. And ultimately that choice led him to a city that would be destroyed where his wife would die. And sadly, if you read through the entirety of the story this week where his daughters would take advantage of him at the end. Covenant made with Abraham, a call given to Abraham, a trust of God at the center. Like Abraham, brothers and sisters in Christ, we've received a covenant and a calling. The covenant we've received is through Jesus Christ. His shed blood on the cross for our sins, his raising up in a new life, his resurrection for our justification. We are part of a new covenant in Jesus Christ. And in that new covenant, you have a calling. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples, teaching them all that I have commanded you. And I will be with you until the end of the age. We have to begin to separate. Oh, being a pastor is being called. Being a worship leader is being called. Being a youth pastor is being called. Being a missionary is being called. If you are in covenant with Jesus, you are called. And if you are in covenant with Jesus, you are blessed. And are we going to be Abram or are we going to be Lot? Are we going to seek to be obedient? Abraham was not perfect. He messed up. The Bible records people's mess-ups so that we don't feel so bad about ourselves. <laughs> but he sought to live with obedience to God's blessing and God's call. Lot sought to live for himself. And in doing so, created all sorts of distractions and hindrances for Abram and the call of God in his life. In Jesus, we have covenant. In Jesus, we have a calling 
Are we faithful and obedient like Abraham? Or are we distracting and hindering like Lot? We have before us a mission to speak, to live, to teach of God's greatness. Let us be Abram. Let us seek to follow him. Let us not seek to be Lot and use our blessings for ourselves or take the best for ourselves or have the choicest life for ourselves or to make situations that require somebody to come and rescue us. Oh, it's great when people want to rescue us and come to our aid. I'm not suggesting it's not great. But let's not have that happen because of the choices we make. For those become distractions to the mission and the call of God that is before us. Thanks for listening. If you have any thoughts, questions, or prayer concerns, please email us at pbcfrankfurt at gmail.com.